When you hear the word conflict, what comes to mind? When you hear the word conflict in beloved community or in a congregation, what comes to mind then? This is one of those sermons based in the understanding that every Sunday is a work in progress. Every week is made possible by our collaboration and how we learn from each other, no matter what our level of commitment to a liberal faith or experience in religious institutions or depth of theological reflection. This is one of those sermons I wish we could do in person because sorting out the nature of conflict and its part in beloved community really is a mutual project, it is a chance to explore together and for me to ask a few questions of us along the way. While I share some notes about my skills or about my skills in development, if you will. Our theme this month is beloved community and it would be a disservice to ignore the presence of and role of conflict within us and among us. The service is today is merely a first chance to explore the nature of conflict and what to consider about it in this particular time and place. I have an additional motivation for touching on conflict in religious community because in a month, we celebrate my installation as the minister of this congregation. This installation is the formal ceremony that completes the search processes you and I each started separately, getting on towards two years ago. And as we honor the ritual affirmation of our covenant together, it is worth naming that this is just the beginning of our ministry and everything that comes with commitment and covenant including how we understand conflict. When do we agree? When do we disagree? How do we disagree? And how do we find resolution and solutions? I'm going to tell you, we are all human, and conflict comes with the territory. When it comes to talking about conflict, one of the great teachers that I learned from in my early ministry formation is the consultant Speed Lease. Uh, he talks about kinds of conflict um, and has created one of the more known models for understanding this, uh, describing it with levels, including uh, level one, that conflict is a problem to solve, uh, that you have conflicting goals and values and needs and you're problem oriented. That level two would be disagreement you might, in that case, you have a mix of personality and problem, and it's a little harder to define which is which. Level three is more getting towards a contest, uh, win-lose dynamics, if you will. And it's a little harder to see what the problem actually might be. Um, level four gets into fight and flight and so on. Now, what usually comes up in congregational life are in the world of level one, level two, sometimes three, hopefully not four, and definitely, hopefully not five. The higher the level, the more the conflict is about 
identity and position rather than a problem to solve. Uh, more about uh, the higher levels of conflict and more about identity and perceived us and them that lead to more intractable positions. A speed lease also named another level, which is zero, when an institution doesn't realize there is conflict at all. Uh, in that case, he describes it as a form of depression. Now, with these levels of conflict, he was uh, always had the goal to move people to as low a level as possible uh, until they could get to level one and look at a problem together. And what he and all of the other wise consulting people I've heard and read say is that conflict is not to be avoided. It is, in fact, inherent in our lived experience as individuals and as part of organizations, any organization. And in fact, the presence of conflict at any level and the practice of addressing it is essential to how we develop our communities, whether they're religious or secular or our families, in fact. Any gathering of people that what we develop out of how we handle conflict, as well as the questions themselves, the content of the conflicts, are all part of how we grow and how we emerge and how we move forward creating new and uh, new, discover new paths together. Now, Dr. King understood the ever-present nature of conflict and the worthiness of nonviolence when approaching uh, disagreement. You really want to try to keep bringing people together, uh, knowing about these profound differences between us. But it was still important to keep bringing people together. Uh, from our other reading, Alex and Reverend Michael apply King's understanding uh, to describing the beloved community and Unitarian Universalism. We create heaven and earth here and now. We are stronger when we gather together fully aware and articulate about our respective identities. And here's the key, being willing to listen and get to know what each of us finds is holy to be of worth and what it means for how to conduct our mortal lives. This is the work we do in our congregation, in every meeting, in every small group, and every time we get together and have coffee as part of our congregational life. This is the practice. Author Bell Hooks, uh, Bell Hooks tells us that beloved community is not formed by the eradication of difference, but by its affirmation by each of us claiming the identities and cultural legacies that shape who we are and how we live in the world. Now, so talking about what shapes us, let me offer a little glimpse, a little insight into some of what I know shapes me, because this is also part of the practice is in engaging with conflict is to know where each of us comes from. Um, now, I know that in my style, in what I have learned by nature and from nurture, as some deep, deep groundedness and conflict avoidance, I'm just going to say, uh, I love to get along with people. I'd really rather get along with people. And 
I learned this well from growing up in New England in a white Protestant middle-class family. I have deep skill at delay, uh, both individually and culturally, waiting to let something slide and doing a decent imitation of letting something go. Although kind of, but not really actually, letting something go. And this is deep enough that I am still working on how to interpret and articulate my feelings. But knowing, knowing that this is part of where I come from and part of who I am, it makes a difference in how I do everything. And sometimes, and sometimes it even helps me in a conflicted moment during the moment rather than afterwards when I'm kicking myself uh, for making nice. And I'm here to tell you that uh, Unitarian Universalists have also inherited a lot of these same challenges from long-established white Protestant culture. If you hadn't known this before, I'm telling you now. Uh, and so much in our communities, in our lives, is also done well. Um, so let me affirm that as much as we've inherited some challenges with dealing with conflict and an unwillingness to it culturally, uh, we also manage these things so well. This is partially why I am here with you, because I so appreciate what everybody in this congregation tries to create together and to resolve concerns, to speak honestly and with care, and to keep trying and trying again. Um, Speedlease reminds us that it's so important and valuable to keep conflict productive and to not avoid it as much as possible to take care of the concerns that are before us. You know, one of the things I know I do uh, is do my best to pause and act and, um, and ask, I should say, what is going on? What is happening in the room? What is happening with me? Where am I in the conversation? Am I actually in it or am I mentally running away? Because I just don't want to be here. What do I need to do right now to take care and do my best to be present for what is around me and what is important to me and what do I need? It is so important, I find, in my own practice to listen to my body. Am I relaxed? Am I present? Am I cold? Am I uncomfortable? And why? What? is leading me to be in the place where I am, however my state of being might be. Now, I've mentioned the dirty dancing approach to self-differentiation, you know, that this is my dance space and that is your dance space. And in moments of conflict, how am I aware of my space, how I am moving and being? And what can I do to take better care in any particular moment? So that's one approach to thinking about conflict. The other I want to focus on 
is to stay curious. I have a story from the book Getting to Yes from Roger Fisher and William Urry. Once in a beautiful prominent hotel, there were two chefs who were preparing a feast. And in that kitchen, there was only one orange left. And these two esteemed, supposedly adult, chefs were fighting over it. You know, I need that orange. Yes, but I need that orange as well. And time was running out and they both needed an orange to finish their particular recipes for the president's dinner. So they decided on a compromise. One of them grabbed a large kitchen knife, chopped the orange in half, and each went to their separate end of the kitchen to finish the meal. And one chef squeezed the orange uh, juice and poured it into the special sauce. It wasn't quite enough, but it would do. The other grated the peel and stirred the scrapings uh, from that into the batter for his famous cake. He didn't have quite what he needed either, but what else was he going to do? And there was a point at which they realized what each of them had done and what they had actually needed. And for each of them, it was a long and terrible feeling when they recognized what could have been, what could have been if there had been a question, a wondering, an inquiry, rather than having this loss of opportunity and lament that loss. In conflict, we can get so bogged down with false urgency, with fear of loss, of separation. And sometimes we have come by those fears and that urgency from real, honest, and true experience. We come to these fears uh, truly and authentically. And if we can remain curious, ask questions, wonder out loud, explore the ideas that come, no matter what we think their worth might be, we can find solutions and options and possibilities beyond what might be right in front of us. Curiosity is the way to stay connected, to get and be proximate, as Brian Stevenson tells us, to be in relationship. Now, by all means, there are moments to leave and to stop and to separate, and sometimes that is essential for our health and well-being. And not all ideas or positions or values or identities have the same value either. I'm not saying that. This is not, you know, equalizing everything for the sake of unity. But staying curious can be a reminder of our humanity, our individuality and somebody else's individuality, and not taking ourselves or others for granted. There's been so much loss in this past year that lives in our hearts. Some of the people that we have lost, we know directly, and some we know this loss because of our common humanity, um, such as feeling for those who have been suffering in Texas. I think curiosity in the midst of conflict reminds me why I'm here in the first place, why you are here, 
not because what we do in congregational life is easy, although there are so many moments of celebration and ease and joy and gratitude. But we are together, and together we are stronger, and in that strength we have more hope and more of a future. One of the most important lessons from dismantling white supremacy that I have been learning is how much we get wrapped around the axle of anxiety and fear and then nothing gets addressed and it just gets only worse. But maybe we can let curiosity and its willingness to interrupt a moment and ask a question and wonder out loud to try something different other than what has gone before. Within beloved community, with its practice of conflict, its constant exercise, we learn about ourselves and others. We inquire, rather than assume, we remain, rather than flee. And as we go forth into the world, may we be so bold and so willing to engage with each other with our differences present and around us, and with a renewed commitment to understanding, we might, we might just make a difference in the day to come. So may we be. Amen. <laughs>